Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porritt. I'm joined by Steve Anglesey and the journalist Jerry Scott. We're going to be talking about the news um, of the week. But first, uh, Steve and I are going to reflect a little bit on the uh, terrible atrocity that occurred at the Manchester Arena uh, on Monday night. Steve, obviously an incredibly sad, shocking, tragic week. How do you think the city responded? Uh, well, I mean, it was it was magnificent uh, as the aftermath of the response has been from from local people in the aftermath of all of these attacks, you know, across Europe. But the, the, the things that stand out, obviously, are the, the taxi drivers, the homeless guy, uh, the, uh, the, the, the work that was, has been put in by the football clubs. Uh, I mean, it was just, it, it's just a, a superb response um, uh, to uh, you know, it's the, the the saddest of things. There is a um, there is a, a a sort of a swaggering thing about Manchester, um, which um, which I think a lot of other cities don't really understand. It, it, I think it's it's shared by actually it's shared by a lot of northern cities. Liverpool certainly has it. Newcastle has it to an extent as well. I think, and uh, and there is a, a sense of you know self mythology of Manchester is all about sort of being knocked down and and getting back up again, and you know people that's 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 evident in the the history of the the history of the city. You know when when Liverpool tried to sort of tariff the the cotton mills out of existence in Manchester and get a piece of that action, they they built the Manchester Ship Canal in double quick time. And so Manchester, which is 40 miles inland, became the, the third biggest port in Britain. And then, obviously, there are things like the Busby Babes, and within 10 years of that happening, uh, Manchester United had won the, the, uh, the European Cup. There's the, the, the sort of the, the fact that the Second World War really took it out of the city centre, then it was really badly planned. Uh, in the, uh, the rebuild was really badly planned in the 50s and 60s and in the, the suburbs that were also bombed heavily. And there were a lot of bomb sites and when I was growing up still um, in, the, in, in the 1970s, not in the, I hasten to add, not in the leafy suburbs where I grew up, but certainly in the city centre it was still uh, fairly grim. But out of that, you know, came all this great wave of art and music and music which directly address those kind of things, Joy Division, the fall particularly. 
And then, of course, you know, then, then Ian Curtis commits suicide and you think Joy Division, who are the, the, the great hope of everyone in Manchester, is going to be over. And, in fact, that, you know, new order then emerge out of, uh, out of the, 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 the sort of the, the shadow of Manchester, uh, shadow of, of Joy Division and produce all this great electronic music in a completely, uh, what turns out to be a completely different direction and, to, uh, and kind of introduces that idea of upfall electronic music, which sort of Manchester has, has, has thrived on ever since. Um, so it is a city that is, uh, responds to adversity and has a history of responding to adversity. Uh, and it is a city that will sort of puff out its chest again in the next uh, in the next few weeks and do its coat up right up to the top and you know say we're Manchester. You know people in, people in Manchester honestly do believe that it is um, the, the the best place to live in uh, in the world and uh, and uh, I'm sure uh, I'm sure that they will be feeling that again very soon. Well, it's a glorious city. Um, that's for, that's for sure, and uh, and a, a proud city and a city that. Um, has had an awful week, and yet a, a great week as well, because it's certainly um, it's certainly come across so fantastically to to everyone across the world. Do you think um, the response from the government was correct in getting soldiers and police on the streets across the nation? Frankly, um, or, or is that an overreaction? Uh, well, I don't think it's a conspiracy. Uh, no, I don't think it's 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 a, it's something that supports the wildest of conspiracy theories, um, which I've I've seen about. Um, plainly, there is is there is something still happening, uh, which uh, you know, which I don't know enough to speculate uh, about. Um, if it brings some feeling of security to people who don't have one, then I suppose it is a good thing. Um, I just think that the central message from all of this, uh, and uh, and what we what we sort of mustn't forget, is that you know I I obviously I grew up in South Manchester in the late seventies, early nineteen eighties. The IRA were in um, operation then, obviously. Uh, and South Manchester, the, the bits of South Manchester where I am from, uh, where, where my family lived, uh, we lived in Fallowfield, we lived in Withington, we lived in uh, uh, Didsbury, we, I also lived in Rusham. All of those areas had uh, at the time, and probably, and, and most of them still have a fairly big Irish populations, you know. And, um, and uh, I think everybody then accepted that it was this was a small tiny you know really really tiny minority of people who were doing this it wasn't representative of the wider irish community it was just a small group of people uh who thought that this was the the way to 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 make a point uh and you know i don't remember in uh, after the after in the aftermath of things like any skilling and Warrington of people of columnists on on national newspapers, sensible you know people uh, apparently calling for internment camps and for all people to be uh, of a certain religion to be rounded up and screened immediately or. You know, I mean, I saw Tommy Robinson for what Tommy Robinson is worth the other day saying that, you know, we should colonise the Falkland Islands and put everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's ludicrous. So this it is what happened is absolutely shocking and awful. But the, the sense of perspective 
has got to remain and the, the you know we cannot victimize an entire religion for the acts of a, you know a few a few horribly misguided people of course when previously we have tried to fight terrorism with uh, internment camps um yeah, well, well, didn't they? Yeah. yeah that that acted as something of a recruitment tool didn't it okay thanks very much steve we're going to get to the news now stay angry fight brexit subscribe to the new european your first 13 issues of the new european are only 13 pounds when you join us and become a subscriber order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting podcast one or order online at our website www.neweuropean.co.uk stay angry fight brexit subscribe to the new european Welcome back. I'm joined uh, again by Steve Anglesey and uh, also joined by uh, the journalist Jerry Scott. We're going to talk about some of the things that have been in the news this week. Um, of course, a bit of a strange week for the campaign, but nonetheless, there is still some, some interesting bits and bobs. Firstly, we should probably take a look at the UKIP manifesto. Um, guys, I've picked out a few bits which uh, which have sort of come to my attention and made me smile. Um a new public holiday. Well, Labour have done the same, but this is for June the twenty-third because, of course, that is Independence Day. Steve, I'm sure you'll be counting down the the uh, the days until you can sit in a beer garden with Nigel and celebrate that fine day with warm, warm bitter and loads of fags. Is are we going to have a bank holiday for Independence Day too, as well? Because obviously that was it was it was better than I thought it was going to be. I was disappointed that Will Smith wasn't in it, um, but it was definitely better than expected. So. Yes. Who's um, going to play Nigel in that awful film that you in Independence Day UK? Oh yes. <laughs> well, maybe that's why Will Smith dropped out because he was going to be Farage in that, and then contractual. You know. <laughs> Jerry, what do you think? A new public holiday for Independence oh, Day? Oh, it's Lunacy. hardly. It's hardly going to be. You know, you think of Independence Day, you think of um, America. Obviously, people out having barbecues and that kind of thing. Um, I I just see that kind of the equivalent over here is like say some some people down the pub probably getting a bit too dairy and starting a fight on the way home. Well, the good news is that that's not going to happen because <laughs> UKIP are not going to win even one seat. Um, they're also guaranteeing no divorce payments to the European Union. Ugh, I mean, that's that's nonsensical, frankly, isn't it? Because we've got obligations. It's just not going to happen, is it? I mean, it's not going to happen, like you say, firstly because UKIP aren't going to get a seat, but even if they did, it's just, it's it's not possible. It's absolutely not possible. And it's well, not really fair. They, it's not, no, it isn't fair. <laughs> I wonder if they could get, it should be in the manifesto that no divorce payments to Mrs Farage if, <laughs> if, if you know, the worst happened and, and, uh, and their split was formalised. Um yeah, I mean, it's it's ludicrous to think that we're going to get out. I don't even think David Davis begins to think that in his wildest dreams. And all of this posturing is just so um, they can say, look, we only had to pay 60 million instead of the 100 million figure, which we plucked out of the air and invented. So, yeah. Yeah, quite. It does seem uh, nonsense, really. Um, you keep manifestos nonsense. You well, say. well, well. Let let's pause there and remember the 2010 UKIP manifesto, which is easily my favourite <laughs> manifesto of all time, which included such gems as um, return glamour to the railways. How were they going to return glamour to the railways? There was, as far as I can remember, no explanation as to how <laughs> they were going to do it, um, but they were going to do it, um, and also. Um, Make taxi drivers wear uniforms. Yes. 
Um, and uh, also return the circle line to a true circle. Yes. Um, which All sounded things. It, well, it sounded dafter than it was because I think they had some branch lines, didn't they? At the time, so it was quite controversial in London. But the wording might may have been better, I think, on that one. And um, also, if you are going to the theatre, you have to dress up in your finery. Um, all input. Even Nigel uh, distanced himself from the 2010 UKIP <laughs> manifesto. Um, there's nothing quite as good in in this, sadly. Um, there is a few uh, other interesting ones, though. Test the social attitudes of migration applicants to foster community cohesion and protect core British values. Um, does that mean drinking ale and Yorkshire puddings? <laughs> What's um, your favourite episode of Fools and Horses, I imagine? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be that. <laughs> We've had things that are not dissimilar to that, haven't we? Yeah, Jerry, what, what do you think about protecting core British values? What even are they? I mean, part of this that's kind of been flagged up is that um, it's stopping people who believe that women or um, gay people are second-class citizens from coming into the country. It's a bit ironic isn't it, <laughs> that, um, that some of uh, the past UKIP members have quite publicly come out and held those views. So, um, But no, it's part of their points-based immigration system that they want, um, which isn't a surprise to anyone really, is it? Quite. They, they also want to um, ban the flying of EU flags from public buildings, which seems rather petty. Yeah. It does. It does seem... <laughs> it seems extremely petty. Um, but... Uh, but, you know, we're dealing with petty people. They're, they're, they're not like us, these people. <laughs> and uh, banning the burqa in public places... Steve, tell us about the reasoning behind it. Uh, is it because they, they secretly don't like... Not very secretly <laughs> don't like Muslims very much. Is that the real no, reason? No, come uh, on. Uh, yeah. It might be something to do with that. I think it might be. I, I can't... I, the stated reason is, is to boring to go into isn't it um but this is part of a their their uh, undercover uh, attempt to uh, tar all members of one religion with the same brush with which uh, with which they rightly tar the extremist members of that religion who are a tiny minority of the, of the whole um it's good news for beekeepers though isn't it seems that they have been um, they are going to be allowed to wear their their gear yes which is good news. It Although is. I've never seen a beekeeper wandering down the street in full gear. In full regalia? Yeah. No. It would, it, that would be unusual, wouldn't it? It's the kind of thing that you might see on, on uh, an episode of Last of the Summer Wine, I would imagine, <laughs> or something like that. Um, also in a bath. Oh, yeah, <laughs> going a beekeeper. You see a beekeeper in a bath going down a steep hill, then filming is going on nearby, or UKIP. Somebody, somebody from UKIP is running after them, trying to ban them. Um, yes, uh, he did say when he made it, when he made his great performance on the leaders' debate, uh, which was the, the sort of the leaders' debate without the two main leaders, wasn't it? Mm. He did say. Um, they asked him, uh, he was asked whether he, this, this meant that people were going to be banned from wearing motorcycle helmets. And the, the, the sight of Paul Nuttall shouting, yes, ban helmets, was, uh, was, quite, was quite something. A lack of self-awareness from a, a member of the helmet community there. Do you know what? I think this manifesto actually falls down because it's not as bonkers as the other ones. I think that the other UKIP manifestos that were probably more extreme than this. I mean, this has got things stopping 
charging for for car parking hospitals, which is also in the Labour. That's um, a good idea, isn't manifesto. it? Manifesto. It sounds like a perfectly good idea. There's there's other there's stuff about tuition fees and how it should be based whether your payment should be based on how successful the course is into getting you into a job. I mean, there's there's some things there that are too sensible for UKIP voters, frankly, and that's where it's going to fall down because if you're going to vote for this. Well, you might as well vote for a Tory manifesto, which is probably more likely to be seen yeah. through. Yeah, you, what you want from the UKIP manifesto is a sort of complete ban on all soft cheese and yeah. that kind of thing, isn't it? <laughs> Certainly what I want. Yes. Um, for, for purposes of fun, of course, not for any other reason. Um, let's move off UKIP and um, onto the Tories, because before campaigning was suspended, it seems like a long time ago now, and a lot certainly has happened since then, um, they were having a bit of a wobble, weren't they? Jerry, did you watch um, Teresa, Mother Teresa, on uh, with Andrew Neil on Monday evening? I did, I did, and she took a bit of a slating, didn't she? I thought, um, I thought it was interesting to see how much she wants to talk about Jeremy Corbyn rather than herself. It yeah. was, um, it was very much well. Don't worry about what I'm doing, but this is what Jeremy Corbyn's doing, um, and Andrew Neil was having none of it. I thought Andrew Neil was very well prepared as well, wasn't he? Mm. He, he, he? There were things there that she wasn't absolutely on on the nail on. I mean, of course, we've been robbed the chance so far to see um, the other leaders go up against Andrew Neil. I'm sure they'll find time for that, mm. but I do fear for Jeremy Corbyn against Andrew Neil. Yeah, I would fear for Jeremy Corbyn against Andrew Neil just from the just from the point of view that Jeremy Corbyn actually answers questions. Theresa May is as as you know from back from before she was Home Secretary is a master of dancing around the question, repeating what the question master has said. Well, let me just say this is is a is a phrase which which heads up almost all of her answers, uh, and of course she's developed uh, uh, this this verbal tick as it now is of talking about uh, first it was Brexit means Brexit then it was red white and blue Brexit and now it is strengthening my hand in the Brexit negotiations. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn will give you uh, a reasonably straight answer to a straight question Uh, I I would particularly um, you know it it would be particularly interesting how um, after a week when People have probably talked to him about this and sharpening up his answer on this, how he responds when he's asked to condemn the, the terrorism of the IRA in the uh, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, so that's one to watch. But, yeah, it would be m- much, more, much more tricky. Um, I thought Theresa May's performance was poor, but equally I didn't really think that um, Andrew Neil managed to land any sort of heavy blows on her, nor was it that kind of encounter. The, um, As I've said before, the, the, the repetition of strong hand in Brexit negotiations and contrast with Jeremy Corbyn, uh, which Jerry has flagged up, just came again and again. She actually was actually asked about national insurance going up and said that she what she needed to stop that was a strong hand in Brexit negotiations. So I imagine that she's just now, just says that to, it's like the, the Stuart Lee routine about Tom O'Connor and the sardines I think she just says that to everything now. If somebody asks her what she wants, how many sugars she wants in a tea, she'll say I need, what I really need is a strong hand in the Brexit negotiations. And this might well win her the election, but it is not going to, she's never going to be first pick if you're choosing a pub quiz team. Because, you know, that isn't going to fly. We should try and get that pub team together, shouldn't we? That would be an excellent night out in the Red Lion, I fear. Um, 
what do Labour need to do though to to potentially capitalise on this? I, I fear for for Jeremy Corbyn that this break actually is has done Labour no good. Um, not for any reasons. Uh, there's been lots of conspiracies out there that this is great for Theresa May because she can look prime ministerial. Well, she, I, you know, give her a break. It's kind of a job when something like this happens. But that break in there was a little bit of momentum. Um, there was a little. There was some good pulls for Labour, and then suddenly it stopped. And and really, you know, Corbyn couldn't be any major part of what has been going on in the last few days. How do they? What do? What do they do now to try and regain that? Um, is it? Uh, is it enough to hope that the Tories carry on faltering, or you know what's left in the bag? Because we've had manifestos and they didn't land any any huge punches with the manifestos. Uh, Jerry, what do you think Labour need to do? I think you're right. That gap was closing, and Labour did have a bit of momentum, um, especially with that. Well, to be honest, I think embarrassing um, press conference that Theresa May gave right at the start of the week. Um, but I think it's going to be really difficult for Labour to now kind of get back on their feet, and for both of the parties to carry on kind of campaigning in a similar vein as they were. It's going to be a lot more sombre. Um, and I think it's going to be really difficult, actually, to focus the election in the minds of a lot of voters because it's not what is on everyone's mind, quite understandably. Yes, I think that's I think that is right for for uh, for the for the best possible reasons. I also think that while you know Labour did have that slight surge and the five percent seemed to appear, um, that it's been quite noticeable that. You know, when you looked at the sort of the, the tracking, the last lot of tracking polls, the Conservatives were still about five percent up on where they started the election campaign, uh, and Labour were were five percent up too. And and even the most recent polls, even the polls that were taken around the, the sort of the the sixteenth, seventeenth, uh, I think the the last ones came out on the on the the nineteenth and the twentieth, didn't they? Um, you know, the Labour are up five in a lot of those polls, but the Conservatives have really only lost one or two, and they're going to need to lose an awful lot more than that um, of their constituency. I also don't think that, um, uh, and I know that this was mentioned by Suzanne Evans at the, at the, the UKIP launch, I also don't think that uh, Theresa May introducing a lot of police cuts while she was uh, uh, Home Secretary, is, is really going to fly in this campaign. Uh, I think that uh, I think that, that the Conservatives will quite quickly slap that down as something that is really insensitive uh, at, mm. at the uh, at this time, um, and uh, and so I don't think that they'll even they will even pull that one out. I think um, as well historically, polling usually um, overestimates Labour. Um, and, and tends to underestimate the Tories. So it wouldn't be a massive shock if, um, even by the middle of ne- next week, those those polls are stretched out again. Um, but who knows? Jeremy might have a fabulous interview with um, with Andrew Neil, and uh, it could be game on again. Um, thank you very much for your time. We'll speak again next week. Brexiteer of the week. Welcome back. I'm joined again by Steve Anglesey, but we're going to. We're going to do something a bit more fun now because we are going to crown our Brexiteer of the week. Uh, Steve, who's been uh, the pick of the pops this week? UKIP never failed to surprise and delight with the, the quality of their, their candidates. Uh, a, a guy who, I think your friend Paul Geeter did this story, didn't he? I think he was the guy who introduced us to, 
Adrian Powlsland, who is standing for UKIP in South Suffolk, um, and he launched his uh, election campaign not with the usual guff about banning burkas and uh, saluting the flag and Independence Day holidays. Um, his the, the twin uh, the, the twin peaks, if you if you will, of his uh, of his platform appear to be that the government must develop interstellar travel and then begin fracking in the asteroid belt by 2026. Now, the fracking is either for water, but he says in his manifesto, it's either for water and or platinum. So, so, you know, one would be good. Maybe both would be great, wouldn't they, if there was water and or platinum in the asteroid belt. But 2026 is... I love the fact that... It's such a hard deadline, isn't it? I love the fact that he's put a nine-year deadline on it. Yeah, that's right. I think that's really ambitious. It is quite ambitious. He's he's offering prizes, I believe, prize money. I think he wants us to enter... I think there's a competition that he wants us to enter... Um, and, and maybe the closing date is it's maybe it's like when you you know you enter something on a on a crisp packet and the closing date is the thirty first of December, twenty twenty six. But that's when he needs it done by, and then we'll find the you know then the water and or platinum will uh, you know so that'll sustain us. He also what what I also really liked about what this idea was that he's compared future space travellers to the, the, the pilgrims who obviously went over to America they found that their religious freedom was being denied um, back, in the, back in the old country and he said people left to set up new colonies in America because they didn't want to be governed by the constraints in their homelands I think the same thing could happen in space in the future and this just it conjures up the sort of the the the, the vision of Paul Nuttall leading a kind of cadre of tweed-clad spacemen and space women, all you know, like like Hugo Drax at the end of Moonraker, flying <laughs> to the stars in search of a planet where there are you know there are no difficultly hued people and where warm beer is available and there's loads of fags <laughs> if Nigel wants to fly in and uh, planet UKIP, you know, their own home planet. Wouldn't it be awful to lose them? It would be. It <laughs> what would we be. talk about? I don't know. It would make doing this, this every week very difficult. Who's next? Uh, I really like this woman, Catherine Blakelock. She's standing for UKIP in Great Yarmouth. Uh, now the the old sort of some of my best friends are black routine is is one that UKIP candidates play with regularity. Catherine Blakelock uh, has played it in spectacular fashion. At her first hustings, she held up a huge and it looks like a gilt frame, uh, gilt framed photograph of her husband who is Jamaican. So she held up a photograph of a black man and said that this proves that UKIP can't be racist. And she also said, and if that's not enough, my first husband was from Nepal. Um, so uh, Case closed. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, so it's been a big week for race relations in UKIP. They actually also put out a, a press release on Monday urging ethnic minority voters to register to vote uh, before the deadline 
so they could vote for UKIP. Now, I'm I'm guessing that that hasn't produced a massive surge of interest, that particular press release. Uh, but maybe Catherine Blakelock has got some other ideas. Who else we got? Well, finally this week, a number one this week, I've, I've gone for, for Boris Johnson, just because I think, just because I've not really picked on him for a while, but... His appearance on uh, the Robert Peston show, uh, which seems an awful long time ago now, doesn't it, before all this uh, this horrible week unfolded. Uh, but, I mean, we've seen the, the photographs of him looking through Robert Peston's notes uh, beforehand, sort of cribbing up on them. I don't know how much that was stunted up, but it's, it kind of plays to Boris's Flashman-esque appeal, doesn't it? Um, but what was really extraordinary, of course, was the minute when Peston asked him about the three hundred and fifty million a week to the NHS, uh, which we're going to save after we leave the EU. And Boris said that that was a hard commitment that was in the manifesto. Uh, to which Robert Peston replied, "Well, I've read the manifesto, and it isn't." And you know, you're basically you were there, and you've read the manifesto, and you know that it isn't. So we've now got a situation where Boris Johnson, who every time he is let out of his secure unit by Linton Crosby and let onto the streets of Britain, is basically uh, shouted at by people who are rightly calling him a liar, uh, is now just lying brazenly on on national TV. And uh, I just think it's a sort of an extraordinary end to his political career. I think it's it's fairly certain that he will be out of frontline politics fairly soon. Uh, there's a lot of there's been a lot of uh, talk about him becoming the next editor of the Sun, for instance. Um, but uh, but I just think that it's an extraordinary end to his career, where he is brazen enough to having stood in front of this poster, which was a lie, ridden around on a bus with this emblazoned on the side, which was a giant lie. He now lies about it on TV, and everywhere he goes, people call him a liar, and his life is turning into uh, the, uh, the 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 woman from Cersei from uh, from Game of Thrones. It's, it's one long walk of shame for Boris Johnson, uh, although hopefully he won't do it nude. That was exactly my thought there. Thank you very much, Steve. Another week, another Brexiteer of the week. Well, that was the New European Podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, The newspaper is on sale right now. Please do go and buy it. Or check us out online. It's www.theneweuropean.co.uk. Until next week, thank you very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.